0: Think about the standards as this like big thing that is like the project is always going to be like the one I'm doing for my self-study where we're going through the whole thing, but you don't have to go through the whole thing to apply it to your daily life.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with Worldstrides, and I'm so excited about today's episode. We're talking about the sixth edition of the Forum on Education Abroad Standards of Good Practice, which were released back in 2020 and recently updated this summer. More specifically, we'll be talking about what the standards are, how they came about, and perhaps most importantly, how we as practitioners can leverage the standards to go further, faster in our work, creating life-changing moments for our students. For our listeners who may not be familiar, the Standards of Good Practice for Education Abroad are a critical resource for those of us in study abroad and can be used as a tool to, among other things, guide program development, evaluate program quality, advocate for resources and support, train new professionals in our field, educate stakeholders such as parents, faculty, and students, and establish and maintain respectful, sustainable relationships between partners. I can't imagine a better person to help us explore this topic than my friend, Dr. Emily Gorlewski. Long a familiar face and voice in international education, Emily is currently the Director of Study Abroad at Wesleyan University in beautiful Middletown, Connecticut. She's my neighbor. I'm so inspired and honestly impressed by the way Emily makes time to give back to our field no matter what's going on in her life. She has held multiple leadership roles for both NAFSA and the Forum on Education Abroad over the years. One of those roles, just one of those, was as chair for the most recent standards working group that produced the sixth edition, which is what I'm excited to pick her brain about today. Stay tuned, everyone. You do not want to miss this episode. Dr. Emily Gorlewski, welcome and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: To begin, I'd love for you to give us a brief overview of your professional journey, how you came to your current role, and share a bit about the study abroad ecosystem at Wesleyan.
0: I might be one of the last people who actually like fell into the field. So I didn't go to school for international education originally. I went to school for costume design. I use that as my fun fact sometimes when I'm introducing myself. Went to college for costume design, got a master's in costume design, never ended up working in that field. I became instead an executive assistant. I moved back to my college town when I had a baby and the study abroad advisor position at My college, my alma mater, where I went to school, Northern Illinois University, was more of a secretarial role. So having been an executive assistant, then I was qualified for that job. So I got the job, didn't really know that much about it until that year I went to NAFSA Region 5, which was awesome. And I learned that this was a field, this is a job that people have, and it's great. And so I quickly enrolled in a master's program at NIU. I got another job at Western Illinois, um, running the study abroad office, went into a doctoral program at University of Minnesota, took all my classes there, was all but dissertation. Then I got a new job running the study abroad office at Wesleyan. And then in 2016, I finished my EDD. So that's how I got where I am. Wesleyan, I guess I would say that our study abroad ecosystem is flourishing when compared to my previous institutions. Unfortunately, sometimes at your state schools, financing can really be a barrier for study abroad. At Wesleyan, we try to make study abroad affordable for all students through financial aid, and about 40% of our students go abroad. We are back in business after the pandemic. Thanks to our junior class, they are the biggest class ever admitted at Wesleyan. So they're all going abroad and it's a, it's a big time.
1: Love to hear that we're back in business. And, and, and yeah. thank you, Emily, for leading with <laughs> costume design. You know, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I understand that you are also an elected member of the Forum Council at the Forum on Education Abroad. And I'd love for you to unpack this a bit for us. How did you get involved? What is your role in Compass and what are some of your responsibilities?
0: I would like to call this a tale of always check the box. So I volunteered for a working group. I sent my application in. The working group was the standards update working group that we talked about earlier. So, um, updating the, the standards of a good practice for education abroad to the sixth edition. There was a box on the application would you consider being chair of this working group? And I just, yeah, I'll check that box. I, they're not going to pick me, but I'll just check the box and and see what happens. And I I became chair of the working group because I really, I found out later was the only person who checked the box. So being chair of the standards update working group really led to many other things, other working groups, other activities with the forum, including running for and being elected to the Forum Council. And the Forum Council is really, I modestly can say, I think we really accomplish a lot. Each year we go and we develop a work plan. And then through the committees and the working groups, we implement the work plan. It's really great setup because you develop your charge of what you're supposed to do You work on it throughout the year with lots of other great colleagues you meet along the way. And then at the end, you have your deliverable. And hopefully, your deliverable is something that's going to help advance and support the field. It's a real sense of accomplishment. I love the forum council.
1: Yeah, that's great. It's a good lesson for our listeners to, to, when in doubt, check the box.
0: Check the box. I love
1: it. And now, Emily, I'd love to turn to the topic of today's episode and dive into those standards of good practice that you just mentioned. As you know, we've had an influx of of new folks into the field over the past few years, and I know that some of them are still learning what the professional guideposts are for us as international educators. Could you please give us an overview of the forum standards, what they are, why they matter, and how they could be helpful?
0: So the forum is the organization that's recognized by the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission as the standards development organization for education abroad. So it's really they represent a consensus of everyone in the field, you know, not just forum members, everybody in the field Mm -hmm. of what is going on in our field. So we all agree and what we need to live up to to provide quality education abroad to our participants. And they can be helpful in many ways, but really just, just keeping up with where we are today, it's really indispensable.
1: The standards are so respected in our field, and they can really be a guiding light and source of authority. Could you give us some examples of how education abroad professionals can champion this tool for themselves and for their office, whether that's to advocate for increased resources or to achieve their goals in other ways. This
0: addition of the standards, I like this addition of um, the language of shall, should, and can. So shall is what everybody's required to do. This is the minimum that you have to be doing in education abroad. Should is a little bit of a step back from shall. Yes, this should be happening, but we understand it might not be happening everywhere. And then the can is sort of just a nice to have like, oh, you can do this additional thing but you're not expected to necessarily have everybody doing it. So a lot of people I know use this new language to show to their administrations, like, look, these are the standards that everybody agrees on in our fields. We agreed to them by becoming members of the forum on education abroad. And we have to be doing this. It says shall in here, but we're not doing it. So it's really hard to argue with that when you show that to your upper administration. And I myself am going to be using the standards really soon coming up. I'm already working on this. Our Center for Global Studies at Wesleyan is undergoing a self-study. So I am literally just going through clause by clause, subclause by subclause, laying out what I think we're doing really well and what we should be celebrating and then also what we need to change. Are there any of those shells that we're not doing? I certainly hope not, but you know... It happens, so that'll give me a baseline for what we need to change.
1: You know, and we know that the standards are designed to guide and shape education abroad, best practices from many different angles. But Emily, I'm curious: is there a standard that speaks to your professional heart in particular? Do you have a favorite standard?
0: So we kind of don't talk about them that way anymore, like the way that the fifth edition and previous editions were uh, laid out. This is a boring technicality, I know, but we don't say like, oh, standard one, standard two, blah, blah, blah. So we'd call them clauses and sub clauses, um, that kind of thing now. But I think that one of the biggest developments for this sixth edition, you know, aside from the shell should and can't that whole thing, was making equity, diversity and inclusion, one of the guiding principles. So explicitly laying out there equity, diversity and inclusion that is very near and dear to me, really, work that we all should be doing. And education abroad finally has that consensus in the field that we all should be working on equity, diversity, and inclusion. So it shows that this was really necessary for where we are, where we're headed.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That, That's very helpful to to hear. Uh, What are some of the ways that that infusion of, of DEI into the standards changed them?
0: Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of talk about, like, should we put this as a separate guiding principle, or should it be, you know, interwoven throughout? And I think that the the answer in the end was both and. So it's the guiding principle, but then it's also woven throughout the other parts of the standard. So the, you know, before, during, and after study abroad parts, they all have equity, diversity, and inclusion in there, as well as, you know, partnerships and, and all of these other things.
1: As you well know, Emily, the standards were last updated in 2020. And this summer, a small working group convened for minor revisions. Take us behind the curtain, if you will. How does the standards development process work? And what are some of the conversations that happen behind the scenes in the background?
0: I think this time, it was a little bit different from the previous times, although like the standards always have have been uh, representing a consensus. We really, really tried this this past time to... Make sure that everybody's voices were heard. So we held these listening sessions. We had them, you know, at different time zones so that people from abroad could, could be in there. We had them at the conference and other, other places. We had them on Zoom, just trying to get that consensus, get, get the new, um, sort of topics that are bubbling up and make sure that everybody's voices are being heard. And then the working group was a really big working group. So we had the listening sessions and then the working group took what we heard in the, in the listening sessions. And it was a very diverse working group. We tried to get representation from all different kinds of institutions, all different countries, all different walks of life, if you will. So we got all these different people in all these different roles. And we even did these exercises where, like, if I'm a sending institution, I would do an exercise where I would sort of, I would role play as like a receiving institution and I would, you know, here's this issue from my point of view, but what if my point of view were this and now this issue is going to be totally different. So we tried to get into each other's heads that way. We had a retreat and in the retreat, we really buckled down. We were like three days in a hotel by the airport in DC. <laughs> so we're all kind of like, you know, sequestered. Not really. We could go out. But anyway, we're in there. We worked on the revisions on the structure and really just worked, worked, worked until we had incorporated all of that feedback and all of those uh, suggestions. At the end of that retreat, we had a draft, which is amazing. Like I didn't think that was going to happen going into it. (laughs) So we had the draft, it got, you know, polished up a little bit. And then it goes to this consensus body, which is out like separate from the standards update working group. The consensus body is this whole other group of people, again, trying to be really diverse, read through the new standards and see you know, do they have revisions? It also went through a public comment where it was posted on the forum website and the public could uh, could go in and say, this isn't how it is at all, or this is great or whatever. They, there was lots of those comments. And then, you know, the final edition came out. That's not exactly the whole timeline, but that's, that's essentially <laughs> how it happened. So I guess really, really trying to focus on Getting as much input from as many different people as possible, and this last most recent revision is just a very small changes incorporating more on internships. So, the forum is called the forum on education abroad. It's not just study abroad. It's not just one thing. It's not a monolith. So, internships are also. Um, a part of education abroad, so we incorporated a little bit more of that. And I think that the public comment is just closing up on the new revision.
1: Thank you for sharing that and for taking us behind the curtain. Uh, It was very helpful and interesting to hear. You know, for many of us, Emily, the standards, or any source of professional guidance really, can feel intimidating, particularly to our listeners who may be in the earlier years of their career. Could you tell us a success story of how you have seen colleagues in the field Dig into the standards to put them into practice.
0: So I guess that I saw this uh, most in action when I was in the forum's professional certification program. So in that program, I had several other people. We did the accelerated residency, so many different people who are completing the professional certification and in our discussions, we would talk about our own contexts and how we'd, we would apply the standards there. So that was a really great, not introduction, because I had already been on the, you know, chaired the working group. So I was not being introduced to the standards, but it was a really like a boot camp almost of like, how, how do you use it at your institution? Bringing in examples from the, the curriculum, but then also from your own context. And so I, w- I really learned a lot there about how people, how people have been using them
1: beyond the standards, Emily. What are some other forum resources that our listeners should know of?
0: So there's a lot of stuff on the forum website. Most notably, I would say the guidelines are really great because you could go into the standards. Everything's there in the standards. It's really you know it's a self-contained thing with the consensus on on education abroad, but you know, rather than go through it on your own. And, you know, I have this problem, I'm going to go in the standards and like, go through them clause by clause, like I'm going to do for our self study, you just go to these guidelines, where a committee has already done that for you. So there's a whole bunch of things in there with guidelines. So just advising and partnerships, internships, I'm currently uh, using the guidelines for faculty-led education abroad because I have some faculty-led programs that are going in March. And so I just want to make sure that I'm training my faculty on them and make sure I'm I'm following the standards so I don't have to do that, reinvent the wheel, because it's right there for me. So I'm
1: loving it. Using the standards as a tool to train faculty leaders. That's smart. That makes sense.
0: Right, right.
1: You know, Emily, you've been working in international education for some time now, and you know more than most that our field is a dynamic one. Could you share with us some of the evolution you've seen over time?
0: I don't know that I would necessarily call it evolution, <laughs> because that implies, like, advancement <laughs> or, um, you know, getting uh, natural selection or whatever, the, the strongest survive. I think that, you know, there's then. More care is needed for students. You know, the, the generation of students that's in college right now, I think, has throughout their lives received more attention and more care. And so they need that um, even when they're in college. So this is providing us with lots of opportunities, providing, you know, colleges and universities with lots of job opportunities for uh, people who can provide that care so the, the field is professionalizing on its own, but then also as a result of the, of the greater care that our students are needing. So that would be one thing I would say, but there's been, yeah, it's been a long time and there's been a, a lot of changes. Um, some of them quicker than
1: others. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that same uh, vein of, of looking backwards. Uh, I'd be curious to hear from you about how the standards have evolved over time, knowing that this is the sixth edition. What's your perspective on that?
0: I have obviously seen the previous edition of the standards, um, you know, the the uh, all of them, um, you know, in the past, but I wasn't able to put my hands on them. So I'm not sure exactly, you know, what's not in there that that is in there now. But I know that it's just... It expanded and expanded and expanded. The fourth edition was like just a, a book. It was like this really, really big complicated thing. And the fifth edition kind of, uh, kind of pulled back from that. So I think it would be fascinating to take a look at all six of them and, you know, see what, what goes in, what goes out. But I'm sure if you look at the at the first edition um, and you've been in the field, you know, for since it happened, you would you would recognize, right? Like it is a time machine in itself. You would recognize the field at that time by reading the standards of that time, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I'm curious, Emily, if, uh, you know, tomorrow you could hop into a time machine and and talk to the folks that wrote the original standards. What would you tell them about our field today?
0: Yeah, again, like diversity, equity and inclusion has always been important, right? It hasn't just been important since 2015 or 2020. It, It has always been important. And I would I would really I always have wondered, like, why wasn't it in the first in the first editions But I think it was because, um, you know, that wasn't the consensus at the time. Right. Like not everybody was thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion, um, although we should have been. So sustainability is another thing that I think wasn't really thought of at the time that now is in the standards that. You know, we have to get on a plane to study abroad. So it's sort of like, um, oh, no, sustainability is like something that could could hamper us. But no, it's, it's not like we should be thinking about sustainability also. So I think the I think the the framers of the first standards would be surprised uh, to see these new inclusions.
1: We know that study abroad offices come in all shapes and sizes. And there are many of us who are listening today who are tasked with a wide scope of responsibilities. What advice can you offer folks who are looking for ways to fit resources like the standards into their daily work?
0: If you have a copy of the standards, you really can incorporate it anytime you need to. It's like, you know, it's just such a resource guide. So I have the little purple printed edition is really great to just flip through. Here's my problem. I go to the index, I flip through, I see what the standards say about this particular issue, and then I apply that to my situation. Um, so I think that's something that you can just try. I think people think about the standards as this like big Thing that is like the project is always going to be like the one I'm doing for my self study, where we're where we're going through the whole thing. But you don't have to go through the whole thing to apply it to your daily life. You just have one issue. You go in. You have like three sub clauses. You write those to your partner and say, "Here's the sub clauses that that we need to be following." And then your partner says, "Oh yeah, you're right." And then you move along. It's um, really you can I guess bite size. the standards instead of thinking of it as this big thing.
1: As a follow up to that, could you tell us a bit more about the self-study that you're doing at Wesleyan and tell us why an office like yours would want to undergo that process?
0: We're doing it because each unit at Wesleyan has to go through a self-study, you know, on a schedule and we're up for a self-study, but I'm thrilled about it because I really feel like there are some things that we could be doing better. We're great, but there are some things that we could be doing better. I need more staff. I think that the standards are going to help me advocate for more staff. We need to do a little bit more with risk management. The standards are really going to help me to make that case.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, one thing I love about international education is that it's full of professionals who are so actively invested in their own learning and to figuring out how to meet the ever-changing needs of our students, institutions, and the world. What are some ways that our listeners can contribute to the field as a whole?
0: So I think that maybe we think of our professional associations as, you know, ways that we can get ahead in the field, which they certainly are. But I would say they're also a way that you can contribute to the field. Like in the, on the forum council and in the working groups and the committees, you have a deliverable and the deliverable could be a white paper. It could be, you know, an award. It could be one of any number of things. And you have that and that, that goes out into the field and it helps people. The NAFSA regions do a lot of great stuff too. The national teams of NAFSA, that's what they're really for? Is there for your professional advancement? Yes, but then they're also to help practitioners in the field. There's also research. So a lot of us are scholar practitioners. I guess I, I say us. I try to be a scholar practitioner, but I really haven't done any research since my dissertation. So like you could go back to school, you could write a dissertation as research, or you could just you know, if there's a problem that you want to study, if there's a problem that you see a lot of people are having, you could you could do a research paper. You shouldn't be intimidated. You could go connect with a professor on your campus. You work at a higher education institution or you partner with higher education institutions. You could approach professors and see if they would collaborate with you on some research that really could um, inform the practice of others in the
1: field. That's great. Yeah, Thank you for that advice. In any profession, it's important to stay current, and ours is no exception. How would you recommend that folks stay up to date on new developments, resources, and best practices?
0: Unfortunately, there's so much information out there and you really, I i feel like you have to read it all. It's not all duplicated <laughs> in, in every source. So, you know, the forum newsletter, the diversity abroad newsletter, the NAFSA networks, the SukuSel listserv, there's, you know, 9,500 people on the SukuSel listserv. So you do have to keep up with all of those. You can do like your little digest. And you can have a little, you know, you can do like a keyword search in there, but we we do have a lot of information coming at us all the time. And it's important to, to stay up on it without spending your whole workday reading.
1: Great advice. <laughs> now let's look towards the future, Emily, and pretend we have a crystal ball. What's on the horizon for professional resources like standards and what trends or shifts do you anticipate in our field?
0: Even right after the 6th edition came out there were some things that I wish we could have changed so right when the 6th edition came out really there there did start to be more of a consensus on diversity equity and inclusion because of the horrible tragedy of the murder of George Floyd um a lot of of people who had not been working in diversity equity and inclusion before realized that this is a really, really important thing that we all need to be working on. And so some of the shoulds that are in there now about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think the next time they're going to be shells and there's going to be more of them and there's going to be more evolution there, definitely, and sustainability. I think there will be more shells. Um, as as more people are are coming on board, um, and that's really going to be the consensus.
1: That's really interesting. So going from should to shall. Yeah. And lastly, Emily, as we begin to wrap up here, I just have one more question for you. As you think about education abroad in twenty twenty three, what makes you hopeful? My gosh.
0: Well, I'll, yeah. First, I'll tell you what makes me sad, Zach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great.
0: <Yeah. laughs> I'm always that. I'm always good for that, right? <laughs> So, you know, the turnover that's happened in the field, um, as the the recent white paper that one of the forum working groups did, you really can see that turnover. And it's really been kind of sad, you know, people retiring early, people having to leave the field during the pandemic. It just made it um, terrible, the great resignation. But the kind of silver lining to that is the new people, like the new professionals who are entering the field right now are great. They are really amazing. And we have an opportunity now to attract these great professionals, pay them what they're worth, diversify the field, give them a pathway for advancement and celebrate all they have to offer. So we are at a point right now where we can really influence and change the makeup of our field. And I do, I think that that is very exciting. So I am really hopeful when I see the next generation of new professionals.
1: Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right here. Dr. Emily Gorlewski, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.
1: I've learned so much already in this past half hour. I really appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World's Triads colleagues, Lindsay Kelchner and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.